Are you ready for some football? Yes. <laughs> kind of. That was, that was the, the co collective answer. Today, the NFL season gets underway. I guess technically it got underway on Thursday night, but I'm going to continue to act as if Thursday night football does not exist because uh, it doesn't make sense and it ruins my fantasy football rhythm. <laughs> there are some of you that are nodding your head because in agreement with me. There are some of you who are like, what is this guy talking about? It's like I'm in the middle of my sermon already. <laughs> I digress. The NFL season gets underway and whenever football comes back, I always get somewhat transported. I always think back to playing high school football. And then I extrapolate my own experience playing high school football onto the professional experience because basically we did the same thing. <laughs> Can I tell you one thing that I hated about playing football? Football practice. <laughs> I played all sorts of sports growing up, and I played a couple in high school, and for the most part, I always liked practice. I like playing sports. I like being out with friends, playing a game. In college, I played every intramural that I could get a group of people to play with me, including, and I kid you not, inner tube water polo. <laughs> that was a thing. But I hated, I hated, I hated football practice. It was so monotonous. It was the same drills, the same things every single day. It was long. It was like three and a half or four hours long every day. And frankly, at times it could be painful. It rarely changed. A lot of the time it was hot. Football practice was never an enjoyable experience and everyone on my team at some point was just done and came to hate going to football practice. That said, I think no matter what sport you play, practice becomes boring. Practice becomes monotonous. Practice becomes not necessarily something you look forward to. It's similar drills over and over again. I wrestled in high school along with playing football, and while I never hated wrestling practice as much as I hated football practice, it definitely got old. Drilling the same moves over and over again for years. Sometimes you just wanted to skip a day. Just have a few hours of freedom. As much as I've talked about sports to start this, I don't think this feeling is limited to sports. For a little while, I was in the band in high school. Anyone else in the band in high school? If you played an instrument, did you ever get tired of going to rehearsal every day, the same songs every day for months? Or at the very beginning of the year, when you had to be retaught the same scales you'd been playing literally for years. Or in school, was it ever boring for that first month basically being retaught everything you learned the year before, but actually forgot most of over the summer? Whose job requires going to the same seminars every couple of years to sit through the same material that, let's be honest, could have been an email? Teachers, how do you feel about in-service day? <laughs> I've been a pastor for seven years now, and I, let me tell you, I would need both hands to count the number of times I've been to meetings that taught me how to navigate a website. Can anyone else relate? 
So we all have elements of our lives, elements in our lives that just seem monotonous, that are repetitive, that are unnecessarily pedantic, that frankly are boring. So why do we put up with this th these things? Why do we go to the trainings and the in-services? Because our principal told us to. No, but why do we do the rehearsals and the practices? As much as I hate to admit it, going to football practice every day made me a better football player. Doing the same things over and over, the same drills over and over, reinforced good technique, and it made it possible for me to succeed as an offensive lineman. Yes, yes, I played offensive lineman. <laughs> The guy who was behind was 6'8", 335, and we had to get his helmet from the Redskins. He and I played the same position. Not to the same degree. But I became better at keeping my body low, better at coming out of my stance hard and low, better at sealing off defenders so my running back had a hole to run through. Eyes are glazing over, I know. It simply put, I became better as a football player. Going to wrestling practice every day for four years made me a better wrestler. Drilling moves that I didn't use regularly allowed me to gain enough proficiency at them so I could do them if I needed to. Going to band practice every day and playing the same songs, and not the songs that I chose, meant that at a certain point we could nearly every time play that piece perfectly as a group of 60 instruments, which is hard to do. So at our concert, we played the piece perfectly, and playing it perfectly was second nature. We go to practice and we drill in order to get better, in order to gain proficiency, in order to be able to perform at a certain level when it matters. That perfecting, that maturing, that doing small things routinely so we are ready when it matters is what our scripture is about this morning. We're going to be looking at Romans 12, 1 through 13. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. For by the grace given to me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourselves more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment, in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. For just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it is serving, then serve. If it is teaching, then teach. If it is to encourage, then give encouragement. If it is giving, then give generously. If it is to lead, do it diligently. If it is to show mercy, do it cheerfully. Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil, cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another. Honor one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor, serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with the Lord's people who are in need, and practice hospitality. This text call, comes from Paul's letter to the Romans. Paul's Romans letter is his magnum opus. It's his grand theological statement. It is everything he would ever want to say about the Christian faith. 
and there's a fly buzzing around me. It's heady, it's dense, but it is amazingly beautiful. All the great theologians have written a commentary on Romans. If you want to be a great theologian, you have to write a commentary on Romans. It's literally a requirement. It covers every theme under the sun of theology. The richest, deepest, and densest material in the letter is in chapters 9 through 11, or what came right before our passage. There, Paul is talking about God's plan to save the world and how Israel fits into that plan. Tomes have been written on this section of Romans, and I could write hours of sermons on that, but for our purposes, what we need to know about those three chapters is that it's all about justification. So much of the Christian focus is on justification or how we can be made right with God. But that isn't all there is to talk about. Because most of us sitting here in church have felt that we have been made right with God. And yet here you are in church. So there's got to be something else to talk about beyond justification. There's got to be something that comes next. How often do we talk about what comes next? Well, that's what Romans 12 is about. What comes after justification? That's why Paul starts this passage off by saying, in view of God's mercy, in light of what God has done for you, making you right with God, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Offer, offer yourselves. After we are made right with, with God, we are given one job, to offer ourselves. Precisely what this means is what Paul spells out next. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. For by the grace given to me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. For just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. So here Paul is giving us a clear mission, some clear marching orders on how we are to offer ourselves as a living sacrifice to God. Paul says that we are not to conform to the patterns of this world that would make us uh, that would not make us a worthy sacrifice. Instead, we are to be transformed. We are to be renewed. There's a nerdy theology word for what Paul is talking about here, and that nerdy word is sanctification. John Wesley had an understanding uh, about the process of the Christian life, and he called it the way of salvation, via salutis, so you think I did my homework. The way that God saves, redeems, and heals us is what we're talking about. And in many respects, we see that process played out in Romans. The first step is coming to understand that there is a God, that we are not God, two separate steps sometimes, and we need to be saved and redeemed and healed by this God. The second step is justification, understanding that God has saved us, that God loves us, and that we are God's child. The next step is sanctification, where we are actually healed we are actually redeemed, we are actually saved, actually made better by God's grace. That process continues to what Wesley calls Christian perfection. 
However, what Wesley meant by perfection, and I'll spare you the hour-long lesson in Latin and Greek that it took me to learn this, was something more akin to Christian maturation. How do we grow and mature as Christians, as people, as God's people living in the world? When I think about being transformed, when I think of being conformed to God's will, when I think of a process of coming to see that the things that God wants are better than the things that I want, maturation seems like a good word for that. When I think of not thinking of myself more highly than I ought, when I think about seeing all people as needed, as part of the body, as part of the team, I think about the word maturation. Growing, expanding, seeing a larger picture, gaining wisdom. These are things to me that come with maturation. Now let me quickly go back to sports real quick. I know I was doing such a good job staying on task, but in sports there tends to be a distinction made between rookies and veterans. Rookies might be exciting. They might have flair. They might go really, really high in fantasy drafts. I'm looking at you, Mr. Giants. But there's a downside to rookies. There's a downside to rookies. They aren't always consistent. They are prone to mistakes. They don't handle pressure as well. Rookie QBs tend to make eye-opening, jaw-dropping plays. Anyone remember that one RG3 season when he was a rookie? How he captivated an entire city. It was great. For a minute. And then 30 seconds later, rookies will make a boneheaded interception. Veteran players have gained a certain maturity that makes them more consistent, able to make fewer mistakes, and more dependable under pressure. There's a sense in which veterans have matured, have gotten to a higher place than rookies. What gets them to that place? What was the way in which they matured in the sport? Practice. So when we look at what Paul says here about how we are to mature as Christians, mature in our faith, mature in our discipleship, the question becomes, how? How do we do that? What is it for us that is practice? Sorry, I got to do a practice. We talk about practice. Sorry, it was in my head. Had to get it out. And the answer to that question, as Paul will show us, is to serve. Paul continues. We have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it is serving, then serve. If it is teaching, then teach. If it is to encourage, then give encouragement. If it is giving, then give generously. If it is to lead, do it diligently. If it, if it is to show mercy, do it cheerfully. Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual further, fervor serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with the Lord's people who are in need and practice hospitality. After talking about how a mature Christian will see that there are many parts to the body as, and that as a church, we, though many, are one through Christ, Paul pivots to talk about the different gifts that the many possess. We each have different gifts. 
God has created diversity within our unity, and that is done with a purpose. And what Paul says is that God has given us gifts for a reason. God has given you a gift for a reason, and there is an expectation that you will use it. If you are gifted in teaching, teach. If you are an encourager, encourage. If you are generous, then give. If you have a gift of mercy, show mercy. However it is that God has made it and gifted you, use it in service to God and God's church. For us, maturation as Christians comes through serving. It comes through using our gifts in God's service in the church. When we serve, we can see how God has brought this particular group of people into this particular place for this particular time and can see how God is willing and working in our community and in our world through this church. We can see the impact we can have when we all come together. How God takes that which we offer and makes a miracle out of it. We can come to love the ways in which each of us is gifted. And we can make deep friendships on seeing how God can use others, seeing their gifts, and seeing what they are willing to offer to their God. We all have gifts. We are all called to use those gifts serving God through the church. In this church, we have a variety of needs for a variety of people with gifts. With a variety of gifts. You know how you are gifted. Are you willing to take the next step to mature as Christians and as disciples and use your gifts to serve your church? If you're a gifted teacher, then teach. On the On the Team flyer, you will see opportunities to teach in our children's ministry, our youth ministry, and our small group ministry. If you have a strong back, help us set up. Help us get all of our gear, all the things we need to worship God in this space, into this space, and then help us get it out of here after service. If your gift is hospitality, show hospitality through our hospitality team. If you're a warm extrovert, join our greeting team. If your gift is leading, we have a men's ministry and a women's ministry we are looking to build and to expand and are looking for partners in that work to do so. If you're financially minded and love numbers, join our counting team. If you're musically inclined, talk to John about getting involved in the worship team. If you're a tech geek, if you don't find the word geek to be an insult at all, join our media team. There are a variety of teams with a variety of needs for a variety of people with a variety of gifts. The question isn't, is there a place for you to serve? There is. You are gifted. You are called. There is a place for you to serve. The question is, are you willing to serve? Are you willing to be sanctified? Are you willing to be transformed, renewed, and healed? Are you willing to mature in your faith and in your discipleship? If so, there's a player card in your rows. Fill it out. Give us some, your name, a way to contact you, and where you are willing to serve.
on a ministry team listed on the, on the team sheet, or maybe you have other gifts that you can put on there as well. When you filled it out, bring it up and place it in the offering basket. Because this is about offering ourselves as a worthy and living sacrifice to God. And then get in the game, friends. We have a clear call from Paul and a clear call from God, as it were. As what we, as people of faith, as the justified, as the people has, that, that God has called child, are called to do. Get in the game, friends. Get on the team. Let us pray. Almighty and all-loving God.